0: Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality
1: industry. Yes, the rules have changed.
2: To Indoor Air Quality Radio (IAQ Radio) for Friday, October nineteenth, two thousand twelve. This week, episode two hundred and sixty comes to you from Studio D in Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Joining us from Studio C, back in McKee's Rocks, is the Z Man, Cliff Slotnick.
1: Hey, Joe, how's it up on the mountain today? today?
2: Gorgeous out here today, Cliff. At the controls is our engineer, Roxy V Valbender. Hi, happy Friday. Joining us later will be our technical director, Doctor Dietrich. Wow, well, as always, this week we have the IAQ Radio Trivia question, a great interview with mister Lou Weiss. He's the General contractor and owner of a Green Dream home that was built in the local area here in Pittsburgh. Looking forward to a nice discussion on that. We'll, of course, have our halftime, thank our sponsors, go to our roundup, bring in the good doctor. But before we do anything, let's thank our marquee sponsors.
0: Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don products where restoration and abatement
2: contractors shop. Visit them at
0: www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleancleanfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products.
2: All right. To listen live or download past shows, just follow the link from the IEQRadio.com website that says Go to Show. You can stream shows direct from our homepage, and you can also download past shows from iTunes or from that Go to Show link. We also have transcripts available now of past shows. And continuing education credits, just email me at joe.hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S, at iaqtraining.com. Put in the subject, continuing ed, or transcripts, and we'll get back to you. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe.
3: When a
1: cool prize by out competing fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Email it to cslotnick. At or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Double congratulations to Andy Krasowski, Comcast Metal Products. Mars PA for answering the prior two consecutive trivia questions providing the near future as the song written by Irving Berlin in 1919 better known for the part of the lyric How Dry I Am and then providing iPhone as the page with 70 million fans as the most popular Facebook page. The IEQ Radio trivia question for Friday October 19th, 2012 has been sponsored by Triska the Tri State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their new electronic membership category at www.trsca.org. Now for today's trivia question Name the famous statesman who said, we shape our buildings thereafter they shape us. Weiss Lines represents fashion forward flooring and fine finished products to the architectural and design community in Western Pennsylvania, Eastern Ohio, and northern West Virginia. The company's founding partners are Amy and Lou Weiss whose strong backgrounds in the commercial flooring and retail home furnishings business have served clients and customers throughout the United States. As former partners in Pittsburgh-based Weiss House, they helped build a local family carpet store in one of the nation's leading home stores. Amy guided design staff and coordinated residential and commercial products. Lou oversaw the marketing and advertising, served as primary salesperson, and often vacuumed the showroom floor. Dealers and product reps, they have sold or supervised some of the largest regional products in recent years, including some of the largest green buildings in the world. The Raphael Vinoli Design Pittsburgh Convention Center and the PNC Bank Operations Center. More recent Weiss Line's projects include UPMC Corporate Headquarters, Carnegie Library Branches, and Federated Investors. Each of those products utilized Bentley Prince, Street Carpeting, or Expanco cork flooring, the mainstays of Weiss Lines. Having managed every aspect of large negotiated and bid jobs, Amy and Lou, as manufacturers' representatives, bring a profound understanding of the various goals of designer, supplier, dealer, and end-user. Being both deciduous and coniferous tree-huggers, they feature products that are easy on the earth, knowing that if the project looks good, you look great. Weiss Lines puts the leading edge flooring and finished products in your hands and under your clients feet. Lou, thank you for joining us this afternoon. At, or we have some intro music yeah,
2: for you. Yeah, do Cliff, let's hear it. Just give me that countryside.
4: New York is where I'd rather stay. I get
1: allergic smelling hay. I just adore a penthouse view. Darling, I love you, but give me Park Avenue.
3: The chores.
2: Cliff, that's a classic. You got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lou, welcome. And Cliff, I know you brought Lou on, you're friends, and I'd like you to get this started, if you would. Oh, sure. Well, Lou, tell
1: us a little bit about the unusual history of the building site. I'm pretty familiar with it because I probably grew up
5: about a half a mile away. Well, it's uh, first of all, thanks for uh, having me, Joe and Cliff. It's an honor to be on your show, and uh, hopefully I won't do uh Many things are going to require too much fact-checking, but I'm, I'm sure your listeners will, will, will point out where I'm screwing up here. No,
1: they won't. They're, is, they're here to
5: learn and be entertained. <laughs> well, this is a, a former slag dump and just general dump in the city of Pittsburgh on Beachwood Boulevard. And the site is not really that notable. It has some fabulous views of the Monongahela River Valley towards Homestead and down towards Braddock, PA. And it was a site where actually when they first built the Civic Arena, which was the, actually just recently demolished Civic Arena. When they built it many years ago, they demolished houses in the Lower Hill District, brought the remains of the houses, and dumped them on the site here. So when we dug up, we found all chunks of concrete, and we found a lot of slag here. Um, so it was really a dump, but it was a dump with fabulous views. And um, I grew up about a quarter of a mile from the site myself. I used to ride my bike, past it as a kid, and... Um, but we t- basically took what, what I would call Brownfield Site. It sits above a neighborhood called uh, Somerset at Frick Park, which is a whole new neighborhood built totally on a slag dump. And it's you know a nice thing to reclaim an area that we didn't think could be developed and developing it into some uh, houses. The other thing is originally we were going to build on this site seven houses. And because of the extraordinary views from the site, we donated an easement, a conservation easement on our property, to a land trust the North American Land Trust, so we just built two houses instead of seven and to preserve the views from Beecher Boulevard uh, out down to the river and out towards the valley um, so we get a little bit of a tax break for that and the views are uh, kept open and it's uh, really a win-win for all concerned well cool. Joe I
2: don't think people realize Lou how many green projects, uh, USGBC lead buildings, etc. are in the Pittsburgh area and that Somerset is also pretty well known I think in the green community as a, a reclamation of a brownfield so this is great to have you on and I appreciate you joining us. I also did not know that you did all this work at the um, convention center or you know the work you did at the convention center which is one of the only green, maybe at one time it was the only green convention center in the country. I'm just curious what did you uh, provide for the convention center?
5: Actually, I did the carpeting. I was a carpet dealer, and I bid on the carpeting job. And I won, for, be- for better or for worse, we won the project. I mean, it was a lot of work, and because uh, they built it like an inchworm going down the, the river. They built it in phases, and so we were installing carpet as they would complete each phase. And uh, But it was a, a high-profile job, and we got to meet Vignoli, Raphael Vignoli, who was the architect. And it was exciting. And it was actually doing projects like that and for PNC Bank, that got us interested in the idea of building a LEED-certified house. Now, we, in fact, don't have our final certification yet, I've got to say, which is my own sloth and general laziness, but hopefully in the next few weeks i want going to finish the paperwork and send it in. And there's no time limit. It took us a long time to build the house. But um, the idea of green, uh, green homes, you know, buildings in general, it's buildings and homes, but I know buildings account for about 40% of the energy use in the United States. And there really isn't a big uh, commercial project that's attempted today where lead is not either done. They don't they do it for lead certification, or they at least consider doing it for lead certification. Because all of the commercial products and a lot of the products that my wife and I represent, the cork and the carpet, lead um, to that kind of certification. They help with the lead points. There's no such thing as a lead certified product. But so everything, everything, all building in general is built. Is designed and headed in that direction. You don't find as many um, homes specifically for lead certification, although quite a few. I mean, at this point, I think there's over a thousand uh, homes that are certified lead platinum, which is their highest certification. Uh, when we started building our house, there were probably under twenty. Uh, so it, it's usually they're multifamily houses because those are easier to certify, um, and people are willing to go through the. Uh, the process, people ask me what it, it's like building a lead house, and I ask them if I've ever had a colonoscopy. <laughs> and, and they'll say yes, and I said it's like having one every other week. <laughs> because every product that goes into the house, you really have to scrutinize and look at. And that's part of the reason it took so long, because we really analyzed every, whether well, the wood floor, and where's the wood floor coming from, and where's the drywall coming from, and what's the moisture resistance in the drywall. And you've you got to have a big binder here of the lead points, and ultimately we have to get ninety some points uh, to, to be certified platinum, which was what we're shooting for. I don't know if we're going to make it or not. I, I think that we might, um, but we'll have to see what points they allow and what points they don't allow.
2: Cliff, do you want, I have a follow up if you want. Uh-huh. Right? I, I'm just curious, Lou. What? You know, you, you come from a carpet background, and and you've been dealing with the carpet industry for many years. Now you're selling these. Green, um, and I'm not sure exactly how to, to phrase it, but you're, you're selling carpet that at least are um, usable in these green buildings in these lead projects. What's the major difference between the older carpet that you were selling for all those years and working within family business and the current line that you're working with today?
5: It's a good question. It's a very good question. I, it, it's, you want to try, and the manufacturers are very cognizant of this, and they're trying to manufacture products that have a higher recycled content, that are easy to recycle themselves, that may have some rapidly renewable things. We saw we didn't use wool carpet in the convention center, but in our own house here, we used wool carpet in a number of areas because it's considered rapidly renewable. You shear the sheep, and they grow more wool, and you can you shear the sheep probably uh, I would say at least three times a year, so it, it, it comes quickly. The cork flooring that we represent. You harvest it off the bark of the cork oak tree, uh, in Sardinia or in Portugal. They harvest half the tree, uh, one year and the next year they take the other half of the, of the bark. The bark then grows back over the next nine years. Again, they can harvest it again. So, I mean, things like that, uh, to me, the biggest thing to make something green is to make something that really looks good and then it lasts a long time. Here in Pittsburgh, we knocked down, uh, River Stadium which had many functional years ahead of it, but they knocked it down. They knocked it to build this new convention center, which was at one point the largest uh, green LEED-certified building in the world. Now I, I think it's been replaced by uh, Bank, of America, Bank of America headquarters in New York. Um, they knocked down a convention center that was maybe 18 years old, which was not that great-looking of a building. The new building is quite beautiful, but, and it should last you know, for 100 years so if, if something is built and it looks good that to me is the greenest thing you can possibly do but i mean they look at the you know, various points and stuff but with the carpet it's um getting things that frankly that last a long time help make it green if recycled content helps uh we're getting actually now ready to replace the carpet at The convention center we really engineered the, the uh, wonderful carpet uh, initially and again i was the dealer that did on it now i've since sold my business and become the representative of the manufacturer, uh, and that the carpet was so well built that it lasted it'll be maybe ten or twelve years till it's all replaced. And to the average carpet replacement in a convention center is probably half that. Well, so we uh, you know, did a, 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 a low water usage or something else when you make the carpet um, a number of factors, but those kinds of things they're just sensitive to how it's produced. And moving as a, a small, as small an environmental footprint as, as is possible. What about the the
2: VOC, the volatile organic compound, off gassing of the new carpet versus the old? Is there as big a difference as uh, it's made out to be? Big, big,
5: big. And I mean, I can't quantify it exactly, but it used to be. And actually, at one point in time, they used to use formaldehyde, in some of the and some of the backing materials of carpet, and. Now it's to a point, and, and I would drive around with a piece of, I've been in the carpet business probably 30 years, and I'd drive, drive around with a piece of uh, carpet padding in my car or a piece of carpet, and the fumes from it would um, you'd make you want to tear a little bit. And when someone would get carpet in their house, I would say, look, there's going to be a new carpet smell just like a new car smell, not as nice as a new car smell, but you're going to have to open your windows and just let it air out for a couple days, and then they, they, it would dissipate. Now with new carpeting, they have the VOC so low, but I think actually, you know, paint, well, the paint VOCs have come way down too. But the VOCs in carpet, it's a big issue, and they typically they have something called the Green Label, uh, which is put out by the Carpet and Rug Institute. And all the carpets we represent have this green label, which part of the, the green label is low VOCs. And it's something in, the, in all the areas of the house that we were doing here. We really wanted to shoot for things that had low VOCs. And with very few exceptions, the paint was green paint from Sherwin-Williams. Um, we used cork flooring. Again, low VOCs there. The wood, even actually the finish on the wood from, uh, I can't think of a, who, name, Bona Kenny, very low VOCs there on the, uh, uh, it was a water-based urethane that we used. The only thing we really gave off a lot of chemicals, a lot of uh, uh, odors, was um, we used spray foam insulation in the house. And people had to come in in bunny suits and masks and stuff to apply it. And it was a really strong odor for about two days, and then it went away. Hmm. And it's all off-gassing environment, which is not a good thing. On the other hand, our gas bill is so low in the house that going forward, um, it, it more than pays for itself. And, uh, you know, you suffer through the VOCs when they apply the uh, in spray foam insulation. But after that, again, your, uh, your heating bills are very low. Um, and you're, you're not generating much into the environment that way.
1: You know, we understand that the house was uh, designed by a world-famous architect and that somehow you came up with the plans to this house for very little money. Can you identify the architect and tell the sure. listeners you know, how you got such a great deal on the plans?
5: Well, sure. My wife and I were um, big fans of this uh, architect. My guy named Hugh Newell Jacobson. And we built a house some years ago, and we had a local architect, fabulous architect named Seigel Solo and Horn, a guy named Herb Seigel and Don Solo, and we built this house. And it was kind of in the style of Jacobson, and people can go to his website, you know, I'm sure you know, jacobson.com, I'm guessing that's what it is, and look at some of his houses. And we used to see them in Architectural Digest magazine and say, wow, isn't that a fabulous house? Boy, wouldn't it be great to have a house designed by him? And... It's expensive, and it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars typically in design fees to do it. Uh, but it just so happens that Mr. Jacobson, along with some other famous architects, designed a – Life magazine had a series in the 90s called the Dream House Series, where they went out and hired famous architects, well-known architects, to design a house that any American could build and that would make the plans available. And the, uh, the criterion of the house, the, 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 uh, program of the house, it had to have, uh, at least three, it had to have three bedrooms, two car garage, and those were the main requirements. And so they had Robert A. M. Stern from, this is the head of the Yale Architecture Department, design a house. Michael Graves, who teaches at Princeton, uh, Taliesin West, which is the Frank Lloyd Wright School, um, out in, in Arizona. Actually, even Frank Lloyd Wright years ago, I mean, he had the Usonian House. And that was a house, every architect's dream, is, of course, they like to build the fancy houses like falling Water. But the other thing that they want to do is to design a house that the common man can afford to build. And this was basically that idea. And so they designed the houses. They built them. Our house was first built in Plano, Texas. And then they make the plans available through Southern Living Magazine, which I think was, I don't know, a subsidiary of life or a partner of life. And you can buy the plans for any of these houses for $550. And so we bought the, I think, five or six sets of blueprints with a red stamp on them from um, Southern Living Magazine. I bought the blueprints not intending to build a house. At the time, we were originally going to build the seven townhouses on the lot. And there was a specific bookcase detail that I was crazy about that Jacobson did. And I bought the plans uh, for that reason, to get the plan, how to build these bookcases. And then I asked my local architect, when we donated our conservation easement, and we're going to be able to build this this Jacobson house—it's a one-level house—and um, I asked my local architect, you know, who also went to Yale ahead of uh, Jacobson, if you could hire any architect in the world other than your own practice to design a house, who would you have? And he said, you know, Jacobson. And so we—we we, we, we had the plans. Uh, we donated the conservation easement. We, we decided to build this house. And I was diagnosed with MS, so we also the one-level was very helpful from that standpoint too. And in the course of construction. We were in uh, Washington, D.C. for a, a political, some political activity, and I, we said, you know, what the hell, we're going to give Jacobson a call. And we called him up and we went over to his office, and he was very gracious. Uh, Hugh Noel, Jacobson, and his son, Simon Jacobson, who now runs the practice, couldn't have been nicer. And they sat down with us, and they, I said, look, you know what has worked? Because our house has been built. Before we even started, we knew it had been built 80 times around the country. 80 people bought the plants for 550 bucks, built the house. And they were involved in a few of them early on. And I said, you know, give us some idea what was what worked, what didn't work. And they gave us some suggestions in terms of the roofing to use a standing seam metal roof, um, which we did do, which was donated by Fallensby Steel, um, and uh, to, to extend some of the windows and some other details like not having baseboards in-house, which is a very hard thing to do. But that's most of their houses don't have them. And they said, do it. We really want you to do it. And so we went ahead and did it. And their house was written up in the Wall Street Journal. They actually called Jacobson up. And he, very lovely, he was very appreciative. He said that that we followed the rules very well. Because some of the people bought the plans and just made changes, any changes that they wanted, without really thinking about what Jacobson would have wanted them to do. And the houses in some of those cases weren't so successful. We did visit one of the houses in Williamsburg, Virginia, uh, very lovely couple down there, and they were, were, were great, and they said, please come and look at the house, and, and um, then we, there was another woman in New York that had one, uh, she was a psychiatrist, and uh, I said, you know, can, we, can I ask you a couple questions on the phone for five minutes, and she said, my rate is $400 an hour, oh. let me let me know when you want to talk, <laughs> and I, I was going to tell her to get lost, but I, I didn't call her, because I figured she might be friendly with the architect, and I don't want to you know you have her saying bad things about me so. I, but I never called her but most of the people that have the house are very gracious uh, since our house was published in the Wall Street Journal I've had a number of calls and we've invited everyone that's called that's thinking about building the house to come up spend a weekend with us in the house see if they like it and uh, if they like it they'll, they'll build it um, but it's a, it's a lovely house and it's, it, we didn't do it originally the house was designed to be built for a couple hundred thousand dollars we spent A lot more than that, because we made some modifications, not to the footprint, but we added a basement, because I have four daughters, and my mother-in-law lives with us, so we needed a little more space, Um, but very happy with the house, and basically, it's like being on vacation every day when you walk in. It's beautiful views, and very light and very airy, and Jacobson himself is most famous probably for being uh, Jackie Onassis' architect. He built a house for her, I think, on Martha's Vineyard, and... um, but he does, he's building a house now in their pocket for $22 million. There's a house that I see advertised in Architectural Digest in Vermilion, Ohio. I think the couple may have uh, died in a plane crash. Uh, but uh, he designed it for them, and he it was the fellow that invented drop ceilings. And so there's a house on Lake Erie in Vermilion, Ohio that's for sale for, I think, 18 or $19 million. Mm-hmm. So it's not that. A lot of his houses are multi million dollar houses. Ours is well under a million bucks, um, and uh, and anyone else can do it. And if you do it on a flat piece of ground, and don't do the basement and don't vault all the ceilings, which we did do, um, you could probably build the house. I'm guessing maybe three fifty, four hundred thousand dollars, maybe um, if you really you know stuck to a tight budget and didn't do some of the other uh, finishes that we did
2: before we go too far, can we give listeners the website where, I mean, you know, we're on the radio, and I'm sure people would like to get a visual of this. Can we give them the website where they can go and take a look at it? Yeah, the best one is probably actually to
5: go to my own website for our business, which is called WeissLines.com, W-E-I-S-S-L-I-N-E-S.com, and if you go there, let me just go there real quick now, I'm sitting in front of my computer, and you go there, and it says about. On the top left there's a series of dashes, and it talks about our representing business, but you can ignore that. And then on the left, there's a little dash and says so about, you click on that, and there are three articles about the house, one in the Post, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, one in, it's called House Trends Magazine, and one in the Wall Street Journal. And they show numbers of pictures of the house, and it gets described in pretty good detail there. And that might be the best place. Actually, when you go to the Hunold Jacobson site, you no longer can see our house for whatever reason they took, it, it was on this uh life magazine website and life magazine took it down about a year and a half ago hmm. so probably the best place to see it is on the wife lines uh dot com website and you go to about and there's and it says we've Gone green and there's uh there are three articles about thousand and a number of pictures of it and uh that's probably the best way right
1: cliff do you think he took your house office website
5: because he didn't like your door I don't think so. Although he mentions in the Wall Street Journal article, he did He wasn't crazy about the yellow door. He calls he calls for a red door and often uses red doors on his projects, mainly red doors. Although I noticed in Architectural Digest, the nice thing is we called him and we spent a, you know, a couple hours with him one year and a couple hours a year uh, the year after, and we sent him a check for his time. Of course, of course. he didn't bill us, but we volunteered to. Well, understood. And um, but we would, we'd look through the published books of his work, so we would see you know what was in these books. And if we had a question, we could just refer to those and look at the other things to get some idea of what uh, what was going on. And uh, typically, again, the, the red door, I thought it was a little Episcopalian. You know, we Jewish, and so I don't know why. Someone said, and actually, a, a doctor at Children's Hospital, I am a Andy Erbach, sent us another article from Architectural Digest uh, with a house by a woman named Merriman. Uh, I forget her first name, in, in Illinois, in Chicago. And it, I said, Jacobson kind of a look. There's very clean lines, very kind of a, almost like a Monopoly house mm-hmm. kind of a look. And they'd use the yellow door there. And I said, you know what, maybe we'll use the yellow door. My wife really liked it, and she kind of pushed the yellow door on it. And well, it just this, makes it stand out. Does the house have a specific um,
1: design category that it falls into?
5: Not from the people will drive by and they think it looks like, because, I mean, all good architecture is about breaking down the mass so you don't have a monster building. And we kind of position it as, personally, as the anti-McMansion. So even though it's, the basement is, without the basement, it's probably about 2,400 square feet on the one level. And people look at it and they think because they break it down into separate little pods, they think it's a series of townhouses. Someone said it looks like uh, a summer camp. Or um, someone else said it looks like Big Love, the show on HBO with different wives in each separate pod, uh, all different kinds of comments when people drive by when it was under construction. Still, they can't figure out exactly what it is. So if anything, it's kind of housey looking on the outside with very simple forms and simple shapes, and on the inside, it's, it's, it's pretty contemporary. One other feature that I should mention that kind of pertains to the IAQ situation, normally when you build a house, you have a roof vent, and you know, everything gets vented out through there, and the, the, that's where the fresh air comes in. Nowadays, I think it's getting more and more common. In this house, we did it without a vent, so there's no roof vent. It's and because of the spray foam insulation, basically the house is totally sealed. We have a um, oh gosh, maybe it's called a VAV uh, maybe heat recovery, could, ventilator, maybe, maybe an HRV. we are bring in maybe it's an HRV. we are bring in fresh air. It's about the the, the electricity use of a forty watt light bulb. So it constantly brings in fresh air to circulate it through the house.
2: So an ERV on a, on a, or an HRV, basic.
5: yeah. <clears throat> it's it called? It's either an energy
2: recovery ventilator, ERV, or an HRV, it sounds like to me, but... Yeah, and,
5: and so basically, so we have one uh, vent that it's constantly bringing fresh air in. Of course, the other way to get fresh air in a house is you open the windows. But, I mean, the idea is you want a sealed pipe. Why? Because you lose all, that's how you lose your energy, through those vents and actually through the glass. We have about as much glass. In the houses you can have and still be a greenhouse, we're at the limit, and I think it's about twenty percent is the limitation on a lead house. There's a they, there's a calculation that they do. So in the in the front you know front facing the street, we have some windows but not very much, and then towards the back where the view is, it's it's a it's a lot of glass. Is that um, a south facing view? Lou? It's kind of, almost it's more southeast. That's uh, right, not okay. quite strictly south. If we were, if we could tilt the house a little bit more towards the south, we would pick up more lead points but we would lose a little bit of the view. Got so here. we compromised a little bit on some of those things. You know, uh, The toilets that we have. Uh, if we had a dual flush toilet, we would get more points, and that uses .9 and, I think, 1.28 gallons on that. We have a single flush toilet. I, spe- I spoke to the head of uh, engineering at Toto Toilets. We went very high with all of our things and all of our discussions. The toilet discussion was a big one. We gave up a point there because there's something called the brush flush, When you have a low-flush toilet, sometimes the water target isn't as big, and sometimes the flush doesn't do what you want it to do, and so you end up flushing it twice. Mm
3: -hmm. So
5: we went for the 1.28-gallon flushing toilet, so we gave up a little bit there. um, But you only have to flush one time. And uh, it's little things like that, you know, the no-roof vent, the flushing toilet. Actually, we harvest all of our rainwater off of our roofs, and even from the ground in front of our house. It's gravel uh, in front. It's not planted. So we harvest all the water from that. It goes into a water cistern underneath a raised bed uh, garden that my wife has, and, uh, and that gets pumped into the house to run the toilets. And if we irradiated the water and did some other things, we could actually drink it. So uh, when, a, when a good rainstorm comes, uh, one inch of rain on a 1,000-square-feet of roof produces 600 gallons of water. I know all kinds of stupid calculations like that now. And, uh, <laughs> and we have a, a rock system. We, we dug the hole, we filled it with river rock, goes into that cistern, gets pumped into the house. Right there. So when we uh, pee, we pee into beautiful Pittsburgh rainwater.
2: And you also use that to water your plants. I understand your wife has a nice garden. You grow a lot of your own
5: fruits and she vegetables. She does. I mean, the Green Acres. I had to laugh at the Green Acres theme song there. <laughs> I mean, she would love to be out in the country. She would love it. And the problem is I'm lazy. I'd like to read the paper on a Sunday and, you know, don't don't want a lot to maintain. And so this was kind of a compromise. She has this beautiful raised bed garden on top of the water cistern. So the water cistern's there, and then we put a geotextile on top of it and and put some, you know, fill back in. And um, on top of it, she has these raised beds. And basically she looks out the window, sees what looks good, and that's what we have for dinner that night. It's very beautiful. We have a big uh, sewer pipe there. Out in the garden, it's stuck in the ground. We, we compost. We compost uh, all of our uh, all of the leaves. We compost all of our food waste if it's not if it's not cooked and there's no fat in it. We we compost that, and um, it works. It worked. I and mean, we you know we you know, we put it in there. We don't it or anything like that because it's it, the key dimension on the is three by three by three, and it, just the air it, it doesn't smell even. If you go over to the compost and you're there, it just goes right out in the air. It's beautiful.
2: Uh, that that gravel is pretty much your yard, and that keeps it, you don't have to cut grass. Is that accurate to say?
5: In the front, right, it, it was part of the look. We asked uh, the architect about it, and he said that he liked the idea. And um, in the front, so there, there's a big berm in the front there. With a, part of LEED is how you plant your property, part of getting a LEED certification, and part of doing something green. If you, you have all kinds of grass, and you have to maintain it every week, and you have to, you know, uh, spray it for weeds that's not good for the environment and all of our, our stormwater stays on site so whatever the, the, we, the rain doesn't goes into the cistern whatever overflow stays on the site too and in the back where we do have grass it's called no-mow grass it doesn't require mowing in, now in spite of that we typically do mow it mm, to even about the first couple of years maybe once or twice a season we've mowed it but I don't think we've mowed the grass now for two, three months and it grows, and it's a, it's a fine fescue. It comes from Wisconsin, so it's, you know, it, and it's designed for this area. But all of the planting that we've done around the house is, are indigenous plants. They're all plants that are kind of native to this area, and with the exception of some shrubs that the deer are taking a liking to. Um, they've done quite well. They've That's done so. quite well, even on this slag dump here. And um, So, again, they've been chosen because they're low-maintenance. In many cases, evergreen, but not in, in every case and uh, so but landscaping and water use is a big concern just like indoor air quality is a big concern with elite also I mean what kind of filters do you have you know is it a HEPA filter is it this kind of a filter I I mean I'm not that familiar with it you guys bet your stock and trade but um you know what is the indoor air quality, like in the house, they're very concerned with something like that.
2: Well, let's talk and, a little bit more about that, Lou. We have to go to our halftime for just a moment and thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back with you. And uh, Lou Weiss, great, interesting uh, show this week on a, a green home here in the Pittsburgh area, built on a landfill—great stuff. We'll be right back after we thank our sponsors. Yeah. Thanks to our association sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com.
0: The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks
2: to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com.
0: Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don products where restoration
2: and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com.
0: Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleancleanfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products.
2: All right, we're back with the second half of our interview with Lou Weiss, the owner and general contractor of what I call the Green Dream Home here in Pittsburgh. Uh, Lou, do we have you back? Yes, I'm here. Good to have you. This has been fascinating so far. I kind of dominated your, your interview, Cliff, please jump in here if you would.
1: Okay, I've got a couple of questions, Lou. Uh, we, we teased uh, listeners in uh, telling them that recycled roofing was used and, <laughs> and surplus airplane parts. Uh, can you tell listeners a little bit about those materials and how they were incorporated into the home?
5: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the, um, because, the, uh, we're of course trying to use products that we represent, my wife and I, so for, for the backsplash in the kitchen is made out of recycled aircraft bodies from uh, these aircraft graveyards out in Arizona. They take the bodies, they melt them down, they make them into tiles. So that's the backsplash. Some of our, and some of our countertops are made from uh, bottles, literally just bottles that are melted down. It's a product made in Italy. It comes from there. Um, our cheapest lead point actually was about uh, $14. We went to a place called Construction Junction. And because there's no trim in the house, the only trim we have is some railing caps. We got some used lumber, brought it over, and put it in the house. Uh, the roof, the standing seams uh, metal roof you know, from Fallensby Still has a lot of recycled material in it. I forget the percentage exactly. Um, the drywall comes from a coal plant uh, up up the river, and I think it's in Beaver, PA. And the gypsum, it, it's, made, it's made out of a, like a synthetic... Um, gypsum that comes from fly ash which is an incredible material that you can make all kinds of stuff out of and it's a big byproduct of coal plants and uh, I don't know, nuclear plants but so it's a lot of uh, high fly ash content and that and actually outside of our uh, house is clad in hardy plank pl- uh, siding also made from uh, I think it's 70% cement 30% wood pulp and of the 70% that is c- uh, cement most of that is uh, actually fly ash so it's any place we could do something that's recycled, we did it. Uh, I was looking around, looking around to see what else might be. The cork floor of my office here... Um Construction, those are those some of the main things. Yeah, you mentioned
1: construction. What about the windmill? I mean, I think it's one of the striking features that you can see when yeah,
5: well, <laughs> you well, the windmill built, we right? haven't quite figured out exactly yet. I mean, and Because the house kind of looks when you look at it and you look at the website and see it. it looks like it's on a, a farmhouse a little bit, right? And so, it kind of as a farm, we have the uh, the, the planting beds that my that my wife has the above ground planting beds, and we kind going to have a shed to store some stuff. I said, you know what? How about a window on top of this? And the, the landscape guy again, John Driller, uh, loved it. And he, he was acting. The silo I think was his idea in the first place. And uh, so he put the window up. And actually, we used the window. There's some marine marine batteries in the uh, silo, and it charges the batteries. And from those batteries, it does some of the external lighting. It's not really much more than a vanity windmill. It looks great. It does produce some energy. Not that much energy gets produced from it. Now, I mean, wind power, I know, is a big deal uh, if it's really windy. We have some wind here, not as much as we thought. And you're sitting out in the back sometimes, and you see the windmill spinning and stuff, and it's very kind of calming. But we do actually use the power from the windmill uh, to do some external lighting here at the house.
2: Lou, I, it- What type of heating, ventilation, well, we talked about your ventilation, heating and air conditioning system do you have? Do you have air conditioning? We do. Actually, the one
5: mistake that, well, not a mistake, but the one regret I have, if we were doing it over again, maybe I would do geothermal uh, HVAC here at the house. We didn't. We have air pumps, uh, heat pumps on both sides of the house. That's a carrier system. Uh, And the inside, because of the layout of the house, it's not that efficient from a ducting standpoint. Because it's one level and it's a big footprint. Gre- lead and green generally, green's on, you want it to be more of a compact house, uh, so that the runs are, are much shorter for uh, plumbing and for, and for heating. Actually, we had to pass a very rigorous air duct uh, test, and there was a door, so another thing called a door blaster test. I mean, where they, they put a fan up to the door and they see if there's any uh, leakage in the house, which we passed that one with flying colors, and they did all kinds of metering of that. And then the air duct test, we kept flunking. And they kept ripping the, because they did the air ducts, which were really good to begin with, uh, and they had insulated all of the uh, ducts, and um, and finally we found some leakage back at the at the uh, inside where the furnaces. Okay. That's where the leaks were. The guys were going crazy trying to find the leaks, and finally we, we passed that test. Hmm. But um, in order to get the certifications, I know with Energy Star also, you have to pass the, I think it's called the duct blaster test, and what I think is the... Uh, Lower door. Lower door. What's it called? you got a, Blower, door. a lower door and a door. Lower door test. Yes. Which were the both. That's, again, what you guys do. But, I mean, it was interesting doing it. Our lunch, we did do uh, linear diffusers for the HVAC, which is, again, a little bit of a vanity thing. We did it for aesthetic reasons because you have these big boots uh, that come at the, at the back of it, and it just looks great with these linear diffusers. You see them used a lot commercially, um, not so much residentially. Uh, but we did it, and I'm glad they they really have a good look to it. And the house, I gotta say, is comfortable. Our heating bills, we lived in a, we were renting a 5,000 uh, foot house on a nearby college campus, and our heating bills in the winter were, I would say, $1,200 a month. Mm-hmm. And the house before that, they were quite high. So we went from a $1,200 heating bill and a 5,000 foot house. Here, our house is about 4,800 square feet, but it's the basement. I'd say our combined gas and electric bills here oh maybe are three hundred dollars in the winter, three hundred fifty and likewise in the summer, because it 's a heat pump it it you guys know this better than me it you know uses even when it 's cold outside you know thirty two degrees there 's still heat in the air that it can use, so it 's basically running on electric until it gets to be about oh i guess in the teens you know, seventeen eighteen degrees, then it switches over to gas okay but um yeah, maybe it would be better, more efficient if it was all gas, but um, and maybe we and maybe we should even make that switch because gas prices are are, are so low now relative to electric. But I mean, I must say it's uh, the air it smells great in the house. But the quality's great, and these uh, two systems again because the house is so spread out, we used one on each side of the house, and because it's so well insulated, the house the tonnage was reduced. I think maybe it's. 5.6 tons for the whole house for 5,000 feet. I don't know if that sounds about right. That sticks with me again. Don't fact check me like the president. <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> Cliff, do you have another one? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, what, what special needs
1: accommodations did you uh, incorporate into the home?
5: Great question. Well, all of our doors are three feet wide. Uh, all of our transitions from tile to carpet to cork floor are flush. Um, it, uh, what else? The um, it's all the toilets are comfort height. All the uh, fixtures are they they're low water use, so they're low water pressure uh, fixtures in the shower, which is they're pretty good. You get a pretty good. I think that doesn't res, uh, refer to the universal design aspects. Um, the shower we made flush so that I could, if need be, I'm ambulatory now and good, but if I ever had to wheel into the shower, I could. Um, The light switches are low to the ground. They're probably about three feet off the ground. Where standard switch is probably four feet. Um, Trying to think what else it. Lead lead is a little bit oppositional to ADA here. ADA wants all the entrances into the house to be flush. You know, so there's no steps. Lead, on the other hand, doing a green. You want it up off the ground so you don't get termites and bugs and stuff coming in. So they want it to be higher off the ground. So the compromise we made. The front door is. You do have a step up into the house there. But From the garage into the house, it's flush, and we just bevel, we just uh, angled the floor in the garage down so that it drains out of the garage but, but if, so to get from the garage into the house it's, it's again a flush entrance there. Um, I'm trying to think what else uh, the all the uh, you know, spigots are, are universal designs you know single handed things so we can pick them up, and uh, those are the main things that we did. Those Good. are the main things that we did to, to, you know for that universal design it's all, and people now want to age in place. I was talking to a friend named Regis McQuaid that's in uh, 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 Mount Lebanon, and, and again, he mentioned he's certified for aging in place. I'm 56, and I don't want to have to move again. So you know, we designed it so that again we can grow old. I don't know how gracefully, but there's older something that we going to be in this house.
2: Lou, do you have an attic, or I know you have vaulted ceilings? Is there any attic, and if so, is that conditioned? Because you put the foam up right below your roof
5: deck. Is that accurate? We did. And actually we we're very a couple places we didn't vault the ceiling. The original plans called for a vaulted ceiling in the living room and then on the two wings of the house to have an eight foot ceiling. And I asked the architect, would you mind if we vaulted the ceiling? And he said, No, he loves that. And so we did vault the ceiling on one side of the house all the way and except for above a bathroom, but there's no attic there. And on the other side of the house, above a walk in closet and two bathrooms, we do have a little we build a little attic space up there. It's not habitable. And actually, so it's not insulated above the, the ceilings there, again, because we, we did the whole envelope of the house. Okay. Did, and actually the pump for the, uh, the, uh, the heat, the air, the air recycling sits in, that pump sits up in the attic there. And that's about it. Okay. But, you know, but no, mainly it's all vaulted ceilings and it goes up. Actually, we, as again a vanity thing here, not to get too much into this, we actually put scabs on top of the rafters so that the ceiling comes to a point. Normally, if it goes up, the rafters go up, they hit the ridge beam, so it goes up, it's flat, and it comes down again. Here, because we want it to look a certain way, it comes to a point, and so we put these metal scabs on top of the rafters to take it to a point. That those are, uh, Just strictly an aesthetic detail that we spent extra money for. Uh, is this all 2x6
2: construction or some other? It is 2x6. 6 two by It
5: six. is 2x6. And the insulation is a combination of um, exterior walls upstairs is open-cell foam, the basement is closed cell foam because it's more water resistant. The ceiling is actually layered; it's actually open cell and closed cell. I forget which go, which was first, and I forget the R values. I think an inch of open cell is R seven, maybe, and an inch of closed cell is maybe R five. One is rigid, and one still stays soft. But it, it just it's a, it's a fabulous way to insulate. Um, and again, that's I think our heating bills are so low because of that fact.
2: Now you want a slab, I guess. Well, you've got a basement. So you, you've got, uh, w- did you put the slab in yourself, I assume? Or we
5: we you, did. Below the slab, actually, we have gravel. At the at the house, We have a ton of gravel everywhere in the house for, for, uh, so everything drains away. Yep. A lot of gravel. And then um, it's, uh, I'm trying to think what else. And then we put styrofoam, rigid styrofoam insulation above that. Uh, we, we put a, uh, the slab is above the rigid styrofoam um, uh, insulation there. And, and, and uh, then we poured the concrete. Okay. But it's a, uh, it's um, I should say the uh, it's it, it works well the basement when you're in the basement it's because it's below grade mainly below grade we burned the house on one side down to it um, so that we have some daylight down there there's some window wells on the other side for the people there but the house I mean you have, again below grade so it's about sixty six degrees year round down there sixty seven degrees right. so we, it doesn't require much heating or or cooling yes. and it's a zone system I should mention also. So you can you know it's four zones on one side of the house and three zones on the other side. So you can manipulate it up and down with your dampers to uh, um, to what you want to do.
2: What about your windows, Lou? What what type do you have? Double pane, triple pane? How how do you handle the window situation? There's
5: double pane windows. They're Anderson windows in the rear of the house facing the view. They're the largest size pieces of glass that Anderson can actually make. Um, in some of it, and we have divided lights in the front. Now sometimes they use the fake where they snap them on. We didn't do that. They're actually... I think it's still saw, but they do these uh, true divided lights there. So a lot of the house shows these one-by-one divided lights, which, again, makes it look like a more traditional house, even though it's more contemporary when you have the one-by-one divided lights there. But they're interesting. They're they're special windows there. I forget the calculations that you need. You need to hit certain calculations um, in terms of light coming in and energy coming out when we we hit them. So low E, I guess, is... uh... Lowly, they're not tinted, okay. um, and we have we have reveals in the back, so we have these pleated shades, which we got from my sister's business wife's house over in Shady Side, um, that bring pleated shades down to, you know for uh, we we, did, we should have made if we made the reveals a little bit deeper, we could have put a mechanized shade in there. We didn't, so we have to go over and we pull them up and we pull them down. But it's uh, it's nice because it's still the nice thing about these pleated shades. They're uh, I think Hunter Douglas. They still let the uh, the light comes in, but you know it cuts it and gives you the privacy um, when you need that too. Well,
2: and that's an important point you bring up with the shades. I think people. Don't don't always. Uh, and we had a guest on Dave Berg. Uh, it's been a while now. Who actually built shutters in into his windows. But that's that's another way you get more energy efficiencies. You know, at night you don't need the light coming through there. So you've got some good shades come down. They help with keeping the heat in and uh, you know get a little more energy efficient. No question. Uh, okay. They make
5: actually we didn't use them. I probably should have. Um, things where the systems where they actually sense what is going on, what the temperature is, where the sunlight is coming from, and then measure lower the shades accordingly, you know, being on a computerized system. It's it's a great idea. We did not do it. Uh, likewise, they have a, a drip irrigation system that senses the, the weather outside and whether it needs to be turned on or not. We have drip irrigation in our beds, um, but it's uh, we just turn it on and off with a valve. Great stuff. Lou Cliff?
1: Yeah, Lou, I understand that I don't know whether it was carpet or padding or something like that, Played a role, you know, outside in your landscaping. Can you tell listeners a little bit about that?
5: Well, a little bit. Yeah, you know, we built this water system. It's two. Ways. When you dig a hole in the ground, you can put a tank in there. You to the which is pretty expensive and needed manholes to get into the tank for the water thing there. And I was just searching around online, and I saw that actually in what used to be third world countries, in Bangladesh and in India, they take and they just put, dig a hole, they put rocks in it, and collect the, water, the rainwater that way. So we dug a hole and you need to put a pond liner in so that the water just the water stays. And to protect the pond liner before we put the pond liner in we took old carpet scraps and carpet padding put that along there because again we had all kinds of you know, brick backs and construction things and bricks and flag and it was very regular we lined it with carpet padding first old carpet padding and carpet uh, scraps then put the pond liner in then the round river rocks and, and then we, and we put in a uh, Another a sewer pipe, a perforated sewer pipe there. So that the water in, in the, and the rocks all go around. So the water kind of seeps into the sewer pipe, and then we pump it out from there, right into the house. But yeah, we use that. to, I mean, it's not, I don't think that the whole house is scavens. It's not like Sanford and Son, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's yeah. But but you know, with things you can make use of, it, you're you're better you're better off doing it. Even the cabinetry in the house. Low, we use low VOC um, uh, particle board. To do that, you know, with no formaldehyde, absolutely not. In that and in the, in the kitchen cabinets also. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. To, I mean, and you, it's your business, but, I mean, and manufacturers are really pushing to do it. We didn't use uh, any OSB uh, board in the house. Um, we did use um, plywood. We could have, and even the wood in the house, it's FSC Lumber, Forestry Sustainable Certified hardwood in the house which we use because, again, you get points from, from that. So it's from managed forests. but the, And the, the framing lumber was not, though. The framing lumber was regular lumber. It's not FSC framing lumber, which we could have gotten some points for, but it would cost us like 20000 bucks, and we decided to save a little bit there. Wow.
2: Listen, uh, Lou, we, we go to our roundup. Cliff, is that good for you? Yeah, I'm good. I don't know if you had one more, but what we do here, Lou, is we go to what we call a roundup. We'll bring in Dr. Wild for a minute, and he'll have, I'm sure, a few comments on this one. And then uh, we'll ask one last question each, and we'll, we'll call it a day, but uh, hang on one second. Okay, great. Thanks.
1: Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw, high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in,
4: let him out, cut him out, ride right him in, raw, high.
2: Let's get Doctor Wow on the line here. We got his interest. There it is.
3: Hello, Dater. Yeah, hello. We woke up Beethoven
2: again, which <laughs> is wonderful. <laughs> so, what do you think, Dater? I know this isn't.
3: You know, I no. I tell you one thing, and. Everything that Lou talked about is, is absolutely incredible. I couldn't agree more with it. And I made a couple of notes over here as uh, we were going up. First of all, Andy, again, won. Yeah, <laughs> I will back. be seeing Andy on Monday hey, at 6 o'clock in the morning. He's he back. won again today. He texted in the oh, right answer. Oh, you did, right. it yeah, I did it again? did it again. And I didn't tell him. I didn't know the answer. <laughs> that was a good one, actually. But I will be seeing him on Monday. Um, and an excellent thing, Lou mentioned it as that, guys, there was something wrong with carpets. People were sneezing and coughing and smell. Believe it or not, when I was at the Graduate School of Public Health in our laboratory, we tested carpet backings. It's actually the backing, it's the chemical that holds that whole thing together. We did that at the University of Pittsburgh and my, my, uh, uh, boss at the time, Dr. Allery, we worked with the, whatever, American Carpet Institute, something like the Carpet Institute.
5: Carpet Mark Institute. Yep.
3: Yeah, they they did it, and uh, we worked with them, they sponsored us, and they said, yeah, we just did it, we didn't know, how can we do it better? We told them. Another point, and I love that one, is, Uh, Lou said also, we bring in fresh air, and this is not 10,000 CFM or something like that, Your big feet per minute, very little. All day long, 24 hours a day, we bring in fresh air, which is wonderful. It's absolutely great to do that, and it's great for the environment and the people who live in it. The other thing is where I have one of the hugest problems... When every time I flush my toilet, I feel badly because there are millions of people in this world who would love to have that water available, which I just push the button to flush down my pee or whatever. Yep, yep. Um, in fact, I was looking at that, and I know in a couple of places in Europe, I have seen, and I get to that, The cisterns. I think that is a wonderful idea. We are throwing that stuff away. We are watering our lawn with fluidized water. (laughs) Which is absolutely ridiculous. And I have a wonderful observation for that. In fact, that is the next uh, thing I, uh, I wrote down. I, because I'm lazy, I I bought these chemicals to get rid of dandelions and, 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 and stuff like that. And I didn't do it because I was lazy. My neighbor, both neighbors on both sides, they hire a guy who spreads these damn chemicals. Now, the other day, there must have been in my backyard, I don't know whether it's hundreds, maybe a thousand uh, Starlings, I think they are called and would you believe it they were sitting on my lawn and exactly where the line is from my neighbor where the chemicals were used the birds were not there so these birds are incredibly smart (laughs) that's the way it ought to be another thing I wrote down bottles Uh, I had uh, a couple of bottles of beer yesterday and there is a beautiful bottle Uh, now empty after I worked on it, and we threw that thing away. That bottle is perfectly fine. It shouldn't be. The other thing is fly ash. I know quite a bit of fly ash, which I measured years ago in Pittsburgh when the idiots who uh, uh, build uh, uh, steel plants in downtown, and I measured that. Uh, Fly ash is a pretty, if you don't inhale it, It's a pretty good material to work with, and if you encap—well, it's actually encapsulated by itself. I don't think there's too much fly ash coming from nuclear power plants, and that brings me to the next thing I wrote down here: gas prices. I have two guys; they make their money drilling holes in Pennsylvania to get um, uh, uh, gas out of it. They have so much gas they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And my gas prices are going up, which is unbelievable. <laughs> and Lou said the other thing, uh, when he t- I, 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 I was surprised that he knew that, how he built the slab uh, with styrofoam and insulation <laughs> and gravel. That is, of course, the way to do that and to do it correctly. It's unbelievable, and I like it. And the other thing that is the last one I have that OSB OSB should be put into landfills where it can deteriorate without hurting people. Yeah. yeah. It's awful stuff. And it's cheap. I'd much rather pay a couple of bucks more and I get something well, which was wood, but it's still a hell of a lot better than OSB without without all the chemicals. So I think I think our listeners learned quite a bit of looking at things that they can change without really too much effort and make it right. And I shut up right now. (laughs) Thanks, as
2: always. It's always great to get your comments. And uh, Cliff, do you have any other questions for Lou?
1: No, I, well, I guess I do, Louie. Is it true that you're really a liberal environmentalist?
5: Well, that's maybe the. I've been I I'm a, really it's really funny, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> liberal <laughs> environmentalist. It's funny. I am, my wife is. We're, 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 the election's coming up now. And I am really right wing. In fact, I'm so right wing. Not right, so right wing. I, uh, I typically vote Republican, although I say more of a conservative than anything else. And I'm skeptical on global warming, believe it or not. And people, while my friends were saying, why are you building this greenhouse, Lou? You're, you're a right winger. And you know what? First of all, Teddy Roosevelt, Republicans, been invent, uh, didn't invent it, but it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. If, you can, if you, We're in charge of the environment. We're custodians of the environment. We should take care of it and do what we can to make it nice. And it doesn't matter what your politics are. You want to do it? And also, I'm cheap. I don't want to have to maintain a lot of stuff. (laughs) And if you can build it right and you don't have to maintain it and it lasts forever, that's the the greenest thing you can do. Well, Lou, I agree with you. I'm,
3: quote, a liberal, and liberal comes from liberty. That means free thinking. Mm -hmm. I don't vote for somebody just because he has an R or a D behind his name. and (laughs) um, But... um, uh, yeah, the points we, we we made, I think we have an obligation to take care of our environment. Yes. I do quote as much, and sometimes I'm a little bit lazy. I know that. I buy beer in uh, glass bottles, and they I have to recycle them. I don't know what happens to them. Maybe somebody is going to melt them down. But I think we have a responsibility... Uh, whether it's financial or otherwise, to take care of our environment because there is somebody down the road 50 years, 100 years from now, when all of us are dead, and they they deserve to live in a nice environment. I agree. Yes, I, I agree. Well, I'm not allowed to destroy that. That is, that is stupid. Wow. Yeah. Oh, other thing is, and I know it, maybe I should invest money on it. We got to save um, the rainwater and use it intelligently. You flush your toilets with it, it's yep. wonderful. Yep. And uh, other people, I know in Germany they have that. They have these big, like 55, actually it's a little bit bigger than a 55 gallon drum from the downspout, and they use that water. To water their lawn and
5: their garden. They are those in Pittsburgh as well. Absolutely, yeah, they do. I have never seen one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the yeah, the, yeah. the uh, nine-mile run watershed authority, uh, or I forget sure. what it's called exactly, but they give them. They give them out, and you see people with those too. I mean, we use much more than that, but people do have the rain barrels here. Wonderful. Great. I mean, absolutely good use of the
3: water, Thanks. which you quote, get for free. So well, yes, yeah. question Anyway, that. Uh, but I, I think I think that was enlightening. I hope a lot of people thought, uh, uh, listened to that. And I said, "Hey guys, I can do something, and it is not. It doesn't cost a million dollars. Just a couple of things, and uh, you you can handle the environment." Yep.
2: Just do what you can. Well.
4: Uh, yeah, Leo, We always like to give our guests the final word. So, just if you have any final comments, and also your contact information.
5: Sure. Um, I, no final words, but I think it's great what you're doing. I mean, you guys are concerned with the built environment and reclaiming things and doing things in an environmentally sensitive way, and I think that's great. And people should do what they can. Do I mean even even a conservative right winger like me do these things? I mean, again. Well, it makes sense. If it's crazy expensive, sometimes we did say no to it. And sometimes there were crazy things we did them anyway because we just got carried away with the whole idea of the house. And anyone that wants to call me or email me, my email is Lou, L-O-U, at Weisslines, W-E-I-S-S-L-I-N-E-S dot com, Lou at dot com. And you can go to our website. It's not that fancy, but it's uh, Weisslines dot com. And then feel free to call me in my office, 412. 412- Four two one eight eight three two. Again, four one two four two one eight eight three two. And um, again, I'm honored to be on, and uh, I'll be you know looking forward to any questions that you guys might have.
2: We're honored to have you, and it's great to know we've got a fellow Pittsburgher that's interested in the environment. I know there's a lot of them out there, but this has been a fascinating show for us. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to our guest Lou Weiss for a fascinating show this week. Of course, to my co-host the Z Man. Cliff, always a pleasure. Back in the saddle again. To uh, Roxy V Valbender for helping us through the controls here today. Of course, to our technical director, Dr. Dietrich. Wow. Well, next week we've got a uh, a great show lined up again. Next week, let's see. We've got Dr. Kath Noakes. We're gonna have someone calling in from. The uh, University of Leeds, I believe it is, in, uh, in Great Britain there. And we're going to talk about um, hospital-acquired infections, airborne superbugs, and all that interesting stuff that I know a lot of listeners are very uh, interested in. But most importantly, before we go, I want to thank our growing group of little listeners. Downloads are way up again this week. We appreciate you joining us. And come back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio.
4: Sometimes we fall down, can't get back up. We're hiding behind skin and too tough. How come we don't say I love you? Enough till it's too late. It's not too late. I'm are hungry for the food that. And we're all staring down the barrel of our guns So if your life lasts before you, what would you wish you would've done? Yeah, we gotta stop looking at the hands of the time we've been given it. this is all we got and we gotta stop thinking it. every second counts on the clock that's ticking Gotta live like we're dying We only got 86, 400 seconds in a day to turn it all around or go away